I fear for, I mean, I really do sometimes, not always, but I fear for the church. If, if, if I, I, we were impressed with just a little while ago, I was saying to the guys there, I don't know that, that Jesus could, could come in as prophet to our churches, as priest, yeah, maybe even as king, but I don't know if we would receive him too quickly as prophet. I think we might be a bit afraid of that. And we cry out for men of a God to lead our churches. Could you take a man of God? Could you really handle that in this church, in my church? Could we cope with that? Because we have feminized the ministry. We've feminized our pastors. And this is not a shot at the Anglican church or whatever, not in any, by any means. Some of the best guys have come out of that church actually recently. But you get up, you go into a traditional church, and the guy's got a frock on, Right? And I'm not mocking them, but he's even got a frock on. And he'll get up and he'll speak in a, almost like a woman. I wouldn't offend anyone. And then, you know, we wonder why we can't receive men of God. We've forgotten what men of God are. Right? Amen? And when a real man of God, walk, you know, walks in, people don't know what to do with themselves. Don't know where to put themselves. Now, I don't believe the Apostle Paul was very easy to be with. You know, ask John Mark, he'll tell you. Right? Not easy to be with at all. And I think the presence of God, as much as there's different ministries of Christ, we need to get with the real game plan. The things in my life that have benefited me the most have been the things that actually cost me the most. Early on, I, I had a very good pastor, but I did not have any fire within me. I knew I was lacking. I just didn't have it. I didn't get that, you know? I was saved. I'd been baptized in water. But I lacked fire. So what I did was I, I started to pray and to fast. I got a tent. And I went up a mountain. And I put myself incommunicado. No communication with anyone for 30 days. And I got a bottle of water, you know. And I would drink water and eat nothing. Right? And sought God. Now I did that actually for one month a year for five years. Well, one time I came down, sometimes I went to Christian holiday retreat centers, sometimes I went camping. But one year in this seeking, 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 and I'm seeking, I'm really seeking. I came back into our church, which was a, a quiet church really. And I, have you been, had an electric shock? Ever had an electric shock? Anybody? All I can say, guys, is if you imagine a thousand volts, as I stood there, the fire fell. And the power you know, threw me on my face. And power, 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 power ran through my body. One of the elders of that church thought I should be thrown out. <laughs> oh, I'm out of God here. Out. Out. And the pastor was wiser. He said, leave him alone. He had seen that before. person came to me not long ago and said, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to feel that power. I want to walk in that. And I always say the same thing. I said, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to go away and fast, right? So this is Sunday. I'll call you or whatever in, in three or four days. I want you to fast, go on water, make a sacrifice, and let's see where we get to. I meet that person a few days later. How's it going? Oh, I didn't bother. I didn't bother. You said you sought 
you didn't seek. If you don't seek until you find, you didn't seek at all. If you don't knock until the door opens, you didn't really knock at all. You know, that's exactly what the Bible says. When Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, it's the continual present tense. What it means is the person who receives is the one who knocks and doesn't stop until it opens. The person who finds is the one who searches and doesn't stop searching until I got it. I just think, you know, it really is a weak and watery generation and we've got to be different. If you're going to seek God, then seek God. And I mean really seek God and don't come back without it. So I, I, I needed that in me and God gave me what I sought for. Another time I needed finances. Desperately needed finances. Just got married and we needed money. So, well, you know what to do. <laughs> Go and seek God. So fast again. This time, myself and my wife, we fasted for 21 days. And at the end of that time, once again, God spoke to me. And I knew I had it in the spirit. I didn't have it physically. But I knew God has given us what we need. And you know, five years after that time, we had 250 grand in the bank. Right? I just want to make the point. If you really want to move in, it requires sacrifice. What was the last thing that you really sacrificed? Or has it not become your custom? Because if we don't incorporate it, I don't believe... Could I have the tabernacle up there, please? I don't believe we can enter in to that holy of holies right there. And I'll explain why as we go through. We're going to deal with the bottom half of the sheet. I won't keep you long. I'm going to deal with the bottom few things there. Today, God spoke to me three, three words very simply about this conference. That He wants all of you... All of you, everything about your life, your history, your past, your present, your hopes, your experiences, your qualifications or lack of them, your knowledge, your traumas, i.e., the very things in your life that you dread the most or you're most angry about, he wants them back. I'm going to say most of us here, we're not kids and you will have had been through, you, you will have had some trauma of some sort, no doubt, a death, a disappointment a wild child in your home or whatever. It's crucial that you, just like all the other things, that whatever traumas you have been through, that you give those to Christ, right? Today. Today. And in that simple act, you do not know what will happen. Sometimes the biggest disaster of your life is the very center of God's will for you. Sometimes the thing that you're most mad about is the very pinpoint, the bullseye of his plan, like with Job. You know what Job had? Job had a revealed calling that everybody knew about. But listen, Job had a hidden calling. And the hidden calling was the real story. And you can have a revealed calling, something everybody knows about, if you ask people who Job was, they would have no trouble telling you. He's a very big family man. He's got three or four generations in his home. Very successful businessman, etc., etc. That was Job's obvious, revealed calling. But all the time, if you like, behind God's back, there was a much greater plan for Job. It was one day, everything, boom, was taken from him. And the real calling in Job's life was that. The real story 
about Job was that one day, Job, you're going to get such a trauma. And Job doesn't know what's happening in heaven. Job doesn't know that the actual truth is that God is going to test him through this and be glorified through this. So no matter what's happened to you, Job didn't make the mistake, right? He did like Ezekiel. Ezekiel gives it to God. Job gives it to God. And God is glorified. And Job grows and goes on into blessing. No matter what has happened to you, don't misread it. All things work together for good. All things. Tragedies, traumas, blessings. The whole show of your life can work together for good if you give it to God. Remember the Lockerbie bomb? One of our pastors in Assemblies of God, his daughter was on that plane here in the UK. His daughter was on that plane. They found her three days later, later lying in a field. And that night, with no warning, and I've got no doubt he had great hopes, great plans, a great vision for her future. And it wouldn't have involved that. No way. And without any warning, News at 10 actually got him that night, and they stuck the camera in his face. And his response was fantastic. He said to the cameras, with no warning, he hadn't even found his daughter's body yet. He said, I want the men who blew that plane up to know this. There is a God who loves them. There is a God of forgiveness. And just like he forgave me, I forgive you. Man. You, you could think things like that are impossible. They're not. That's exactly what that man did. In fact, 10 years later, Gaddafi gave him 2 million pounds, just like all the victims. He was given 2 million pounds. Do you know what he did with the 2 million? He opened up homeless shelters in Libya. He gave the money back. Do you know what that is? It's turning a trauma into a sacrifice. A sacrifice. It's taking a disaster and being wise enough to say, do you know what? I'm giving it to God. Many another man will walk away from his church, walk away from the Lord. Another man might spend his life in depression. I'm not going to do it. All of me I will give to him, including this. I don't understand it. I don't have to. You don't have to explain yourself to me, God. You're not answerable to me. I'm answerable to you. I'm answerable to glorify you. So I accept it. I was traveling reaching, uh, in Ireland, in the south of Ireland, with a group from America, going church to church to church to church, just sharing on church planting and stuff like that. And you get a bit fed up sometimes because you get too busy, you know. This one church we went in, I was just sitting there, okay, we'll do, you know, do our stuff. And the worship leader got up. Oh, yeah, the presence of God was outstanding, outstanding. I mean, it was fantastic. I was shocked. And at the end of that meeting, I remember I went outside. I was standing out at the front door and I thought, goodness me, why have I never heard about it? I know Ireland very well. Why have I never heard of this guy? One of the members comes out and just stands like I am outside the door. And I turned to him and I said, hey, that's some worship leader you got in there. Who's he? The member looked at me and didn't, didn't speak. Okay. I said, hey, that, that's just amazing in there. Who is that guy? No reply. I said, Who, who's your worship leader? He said, okay, okay. He buried his son, 17 years old, 
killed in a car crash. He buried him on Saturday. And I think God showed up this morning to help him. Trauma, sacrifice, presence. The presence of God saturated that place. God was responding to sacrifice, just like he's always done. Some people wait until God calls them to fast. You know, you don't need to fast anyway. Some people will wait until God calls them to pray. Man, you could die that way. Fast and pray anyway. And we need to purposefully, intentionally sacrifice to our God. It's an honorable thing. Remember, I said there was two miracles that happened in the tabernacle. And these miracles are pertinent for my growth, for my future, for your future. I've got to know what they are. I've got to understand them. This is a picture of the throne room in heaven. This is a picture of how we draw near to God. First of all, we were required, Paul puts it, as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, to offer our bodies. That's the outer court. A good church will teach people how to do that, how to repent, how to come before God, how to make that initial sacrifice. The next place is the holy place. The holy place is completely different. It's there that the anointing is. But the anointing is not the presence of God. The presence of God and the anointing are very different. And we need to understand the difference. A good church will teach the lost, their members, to sacrifice in the outer court that represents the soul. A very good church will take them into the holy place where the anointing is. But an excellent church will enter the holy of holies. Do you know what was in the holy place? The anointing, the candelabra. It was the oil of anointing. But you know what the presence of God was? In the Holy of Holies. Right? And this is a picture of you. It's a picture of your life. And God wants us to see it and come this same route. The second miracle that took place in that tabernacle was this. After making his sacrifice, the priest would approach the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And he would lift up in worship before God and he would pass through the veil, pass through that curtain and find himself transported, if you like, into the holy of holies, into the holy of holies, right there where the presence of God was. Right? The anointing is very different in its purpose from the presence of God. What is the anointing? Well, Jesus actually... It's prophesied, isn't it, in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to do. And He lists all the tasks that the anointing is about. And that's what the anointing's for. That's what the anointing in you is for. It's to fulfill the task, to operate in whatever area of ministry God's called you to. It's to do with power, to do with gifting. But listen to me. Look at me, listen to me. This is important. The anointing won't change you. Where's Andy? There you are. Sorry, I'm going to pick on you again. Andy can get up here and lead the worship every Sunday with the greatest anointing, but it will never change him. Right? <laughs> I can preach every week if I want, every day, but the anointing doesn't change me. Right? You'll see pastors all over the world preaching for years, but not one jot of change. What changes me then? The presence of God. 
And it's the job of the church. It's the job to get not just the anointing where the oil is, not just the holy place, but to bring yourself through the anointing which breaks the yoke and to transport yourself into the very presence of God. We live in an age, and often, you know, many of our churches are satisfied with the anointing. We've come to accept it as normal. We've come to enjoy the anointing of this brother or that. And we have called it the presence of God. But I think we sell God very cheap sometimes. Are you with me? Very cheap. Let me give you an example. A year and a half ago, we did five days and nights of prayer, 24-7. The six universities around Glasgow joined us. We had about 100 students coming in from those universities and our own people on top of that. And we prayed day and night. It was a nightmare to organize. It was really difficult. The the, the rotor went the length of our church hall. It was that big. In fact, Jim Blair was, was with us through that time on security. I turned up one day. I'm tired. It's a night. It's a real sacrifice to organize this. It really is. And everybody's tired. But we're about four days in or something like that. I turned up at the church that you go to every week. I walk in. It's a normal day in our church. And everything okay? Yeah. Security guys, everything's fine. Anybody inside? Yeah, five or six people inside. Okay. I open up the door of the church. And I go to walk in. Yeah! The word glory means weight. And the weight, the glory of God is such and was so intense in that place that I couldn't even get up the aisle. And I, 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 I stayed down there and I, I was just in the presence of God and I was frightened. And I sort of peeked my head up and Jim, your wife Ruth, was over on the far side and she was kind of holding the wall. And I thought, it's not just me. Bright Amanqua, Mike, he was over at the back, at the other wall. And I, I rested a little moment. I didn't know what to do. I was frightened, to tell you the truth. After a little while, I went outside. <sighs> Ruth came out, closed the doors. And she said, Have you, I, yeah, yeah, and me. Gosh, the presence of God. That's all. That's all. But we sell it so short. Do you know, I mean, once again, look at your Bible. It says when the presence of God came in, no one could stand. No one could stand. They would all fall face down, wait. The glory entered. I just want you to see the anointing is not the presence. They're very different things. And they occupy different parts of that tabernacle. And the job of your anointing, by the way, the anointing breaks the yoke. And the job of the anointing that is in you, first of all, is to break the yoke that's on you so that you can pass through the veil. So that you can actually get into the presence of God. If you don't learn to do that for yourself, you can't do it for your church. You can't do it for others. The anointing that's in me will break my yoke. 1 Corinthians, a whole chapter telling us how to use the giftings properly. What is the yoke anyway? (laughs) What is this yoke? Do you know what my yoke is? The yoke is my knowledge of good. That's my yoke. My yoke is my knowledge of the person I should be. My my yoke is my knowledge of good and evil. It weighs me down. That's my yoke. That's your yoke. Do you know the only innocent people ever to live were Adam and Eve? 
and no human being ever born is innocent. We call it original sin. What's original sin? Original sin is the knowledge of good and evil. So in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And just like any good father, God didn't want his children to know about evil. He didn't want them to know about the good in that sense because they couldn't attain to it. It was going to cripple them. So God says, don't touch that tree. Don't touch that tree. Just like a father, maybe you've got a teenage son or daughter and they're going into a nightclub in town. You know, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go there. You might not be able to stand the temptations you face down there. And that was the same with that tree. God wanted to preserve the innocence of the man and the woman he had made. But pluck, eat, and in. They took in themselves the knowledge of good. That good was a good they could never reach. It was a standard they could never attain to. That evil was an evil they could never resist. And he knew it. And that became a yoke to them. On the first tree in the Garden of Eden was the knowledge of good and evil. On the second tree, the cross, praise God, he breaks my yoke. The Bible says Jesus nailed the law, bang, to the cross. What's the law? The law is good. <laughs> Paul says the law is good. Jesus nailed the law to the tree. Good. And he nailed sin to the tree, evil. In the first, in the Garden of Eden, they ingested good and evil. A good they couldn't aspire to. An evil they couldn't resist. And then on that cross, Jesus breaks my yoke. It leaves me with something I can't achieve. It leaves me with a sin I can't resist. And on the cross, he broke my yoke and yours. And that's what happens at that curtain, see? That's what that's about. That's why the veil was torn in two as he died on the cross. And the fact is we do not enter the presence of God as often as we might think. We're just experiencing so often our own anointing or someone else's anointing, and we're enjoying that. But I think we kid ourselves if the dynamic, awesome power of God that comes as he descends, and I mean really descends, and changes things, like we see here, 3,000 saved in a day, that sort of thing. Amen. That's what we need to seek for. And all I'm saying is there is a process that brings us to that place. In my ministerial life, there have been a few occasions that stand out, you know, really, really profoundly. I don't know if you've worked, if God's used you to, to work a miracle, you know, a real one, not like an invisible bad back, but I mean a real one. But one, one occasion, there was this child, she had measles on the inside. And she, I mean, it's, it's fatal, terminal. The, 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 the family rang me and, you know, just as they rang, it's like the, the equipment, everything came with that phone call. You know, they, they, they ring up and they say, look, our daughter's going to die. Bang! I knew that I had the faith for the healing of that child. And weeks went by and we were praying. One day I went to the hospital and the parents are very sad. They're sitting there, you know, heads down. I said, well, you know, what's up? Ah, the doctors have said, She's going to die like now. In fact, they said before the end of that night, her lungs are now full of water. Her kidneys are frozen. She can't go to the loo. Her bowels are impacted. It's about five hours. 
And I remember standing there. And that, you know, faith is a wonderful thing. But I remember saying to that mom and that dad, her bowels will move tonight. Her kidneys will flush tonight. And all the water in her lungs will recede this night. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. And for weeks I had the vision of that child going out in new shoes. That's exactly what happened. And I was telling them, you're going to take your daughter and she's going to skip down these roads here with brand new shoes on. That's what's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. And another occasion, now that, it was an exceptional moment, you know, an exceptional thing. I, I tell you that to tell you this. How do you feel like when you're in a position like that? What does it feel like? I tell you what I was thinking of. All my good works. How bad I am. The anointing breaks the yoke. And as I got that phone call, the anointing was upon me. I was not conscious, you know, for that time of my good or my bad. I was com- it's, it's like the anointing is, it anesthetizes you to your own flesh, right? To your good and your bad. That's what that curtain is. And that's the difference really between the anointing and the presence, God beckons us, calls us, pleads with us to come in. But I think we struggle with that yoke. Do you know that just as many biblical characters fell, tripped over good, as tripped over evil? Look at their lives. One, Elijah has a fantastic occurrence right on Mount Carmel. What's the next thing? He wants to kill himself. He's under a tree. He couldn't cope with good. Peter did the same thing. Peter has a great revelation. Next thing. Jesus said, get, get behind me, Satan. Joseph gets his coat. Next thing, he's in a pit. As soon as something good would happen, they didn't know how to balance that or deal with that yoke. God wants all of us today. Very simple. Not complicated. All of you to be sacrificed up to him just like the priests would do at that veil. You've got an anointing, friend. If you're born again, the anointing remains within you. All I'm saying, and I believe all God wants to say to you is, use it. Use it. Use your anointing to enter through the veil. Come into my presence. Stop condemning yourself with good. Stop putting yourself down over evil. But pass through that veil and come into the presence of God. See all these things? All those, whatever your issue is, you tick that box. Is it your hopes? Give it to God. Is it experiences you can't cope with or knowledge you don't have? Give it to God. Traumas you didn't understand? Give it to God. Or good and evil, successes and failures is the way I've put it. Give it to God. Could I have the comic strip there, please, Paul? Take a look at this. I had this guy come to me. I'm going to close with this. I had this couple actually come to me and they said, we want to rededicate our marriage. I said, okay, I'd done loads of weddings, but I'd never done a rededication. I didn't know what a rededication was, but I didn't want them to know that. (laughs) So I said, okay, yeah, no problem. And then I turned around and said to God, what's a rededication, Lord? What is that? What does that mean? And just, boom, got a vision. This was the vision. And I said, a rededication. Let me tell you a story, because the story, the vision came with a story. Once upon a time, There was a man and a woman. And they wanted to get married, but they were separated by a great big gulf. 
And the man said to the woman, um, actually, Andy, could you come back and just play for us, please, in the background? The man said to the woman, there was a pile of bricks behind him, and the, and the man said, pass me a brick, and I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll build a bridge, and we can both cross over the bridge, and we'll get married. Easy. Next slide, please. But <laughs> the woman picks up the brick, and she goes to pass it, and she drops it. Oh, no. And the man picks up a brick, and he goes, to, and he drops it. And neither of them seem to have the ability just to get this thing right. And on and on they go. He says, silly woman, stupid man. Failure after failure after failure. Last slide, please. And in the end, they do get together. It's not because they were so clever. Not because they were so smart or got it right. The bridge was built upon their successes, failures. It's built on the whole lot. But five weeks ago, during Sunday morning worship, God spoke to me. And he told me to tell you, I want all of you. I want all of you. And earlier on, we began this day with a prophetic action why don't we finish with one and why don't you put that stand please why don't you put that sheet beneath your feet symbolically and just stand on that and let's give all that we have or ever will be to God Almighty close your eyes lift up your hands Lord, we rededicate our lives just as that couple did. We're not here because we've got everything right. We're here from a multitude of backgrounds with successes and failures, with traumas, hurts, and blessings. And I want you to know one thing. Today, we give you all. We give you all. All that we are. All that we ever are will be we approach that veil God I pray you'd break anything in us that tries to attain to some you know ridiculous stand any religious attitude and we learn how to receive grace God we receive your spirit to resist all temptations that we won't be condemned by sin either I just give a moment maybe one or two of you want to speak out and pray out a particular thing that this day you want to give to God. Go right ahead. God. presence of the living God open our eyes 
open our hearts. We lay all before you, everything that's happened to us, all that we are. And we look forward to a future with more of you in it and less of us.